podcast series. This interview originally occurred at the 2011 AWP Annual Conference in Washington, D.C. The recording features Brian Broder and Dorian Locks. Hello, and welcome to the Association of Writers and Writing Programs podcast. I'm Brian Broder, and I'm here at the 2011 AWP Conference in Washington, D.C. with poet Dorian Locks. Dorian Locks's fifth poetry collection, The Book of Men, was just published this month by Norton. Her previous collections are Facts About the Moon, which received the Oregon Book Award and was shortlisted for the Lenore Marshall Poetry Prize, Awake, What We Carry, which was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award, and Smoke. Co-author of The Poet's Companion, A Guide to the Pleasure of Writing Poetry, she is the recipient of two Best American Poetry Prizes, a Pushcart Prize, two fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts, and a Guggenheim Fellowship. She moved to Raleigh in 2008, where she where she teaches poetry in the MFA program at North Carolina State University. Dorian Locks, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Um, so great to meet you. Oh, finally. great. Yeah, finally. Yeah. <laughs> Would you mind reading a poem for us? I'd love to. Um, this is called Bakersfield, 1969. I used to visit a boy in Bakersfield, hitchhike to the San Diego terminal, and ride the bus for hours through the sun-blasted San Fernando Valley just to sit on his fold-down bed in a trailer parked in the side yard of his parents' house, drinking Southern Comfort from a plastic cup. His brother was a sessions man for Taj Mahal, and he played guitar too, picked at it like a scab. Once his mother knocked on the tin door to ask us in for dinner, she watched me from the sides of her eyes while I ate. When I offered to wash the dishes, she told me she wouldn't stand her son being taken advantage of. I said I had no intention of taking anything and set the last dish carefully in the rack. He was a bit slow, like he'd been hit hard on the back of the head, but nothing dramatic. We didn't talk much anyway, just drank and smoked and fucked and slept through the ferocious heat. I found a photograph he took of me getting back on the bus, or maybe stepping off into his arms. I'm wearing jeans with studs punched along the cuffs, a t-shirt with stars on the sleeves, a pair of stolen bowling shoes, and a purse I made while I was in the loony bin, wobbly X's embroidered on burlap with gaudy orange yarn. I don't remember how we met. When I look at this picture, I think I might not even remember this boy if he hadn't taken it and given it to me, written his name under mine on the back. I stopped seeing him after that thing with his mother. I didn't know, I didn't know anything yet. I liked him. That's what I remember. That and the I don't know what degree heat that rubbed up against the trailer's metal sides steamed in through the cracks between the door and porthole windows, pressed down on us from the ceiling and seeped through the floor, crushing us into the damp sheets. How we endured it, sweat streaming down our naked bodies, the air sucked from our lungs as we slept. Last week, I read an interview with Taj Mahal, and he said, if you ain't scared, you ain't right. Back then, I was scared most of the time, but I acted tough, like I knew every street. What I liked about him was that he wasn't acting. Even his sweat tasted sweet. 
Great, thank you very much. Uh, many of your poems seem to be based at least partly on autobiographical material. Is Bakersfield based on a true story? It is, indeed. Uh -huh. And so, wow, so, um, so it's, it, I, and I love the kind of uh, retrospective, I used to be this way sort of uh, view of this, this woman who used mm. to be you. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that sort of, is that how you would view that poem as kind of like this almost other character who you used to be? Or, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I hardly recognize her, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that happens with us when we do go through old photographs and we look and we think, who was that girl? Who was that young girl who was so, gosh, she was so tough. <laughs> <laughs> and when you look back on it, you realize how really scared you know, she was, but wouldn't admit that to herself. In that way, it is like almost writing fiction, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and that poem does have that fictional quality. It sounds like it is a, a story, you yeah. know, and it is, of course, but um, uh, it has that fictional quality, and I think that's because I really am writing about someone else. Yeah. yeah. And uh, when, when that poem started, did it, did it sort of, did you start writing about the boy, and then, or did you start writing about that particular time and then no I started writing about that I had seen that picture mm -hmm. and I started out just as the poem begins yeah. I used to visit a boy in Bakersfield you know I just started telling the story to myself yeah. and um, and once it got going it really pretty much had a life of its own um, and it's one of those poems there are very few that happen like that uh -huh. um, facts about the I mean uh, not fa yeah facts about the moon is another poem that just kind of came out I mean I I've made some changes here and there, but um, both of these poems just sort of spilled, mm -hmm. spilled out. All the poems in between them did not, mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are about two hundred of those. <laughs> <laughs> some nuts, I'm sure, and some, some absolutely, gems and, yeah, yeah. yeah so. um, could you talk about I don't know either how you or how one goes about making art out of the autobiographical? Certainly, you have the advantage of being. You know, having this uh, retrospective view of you know yourself, this other woman who you were many years back. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it it seems to me very very difficult to make something good or decent or even lasting out of the autobiographical. But you have many poems that at least seem autobiographical mm -hmm. and that are very successful. Mm -hmm. You know, if I knew the answer to that question. <laughs> Um, you know, I think there's this real timidity about the narrative and about uh, the autobiographical even more so. Um, the, and, and that is in me too. I have to fight it. I have to say, you know, your life is important. It's okay. You can write about this boy. You can write about your relationship with him and his mother. And, you know, it will, if you trust it, it will mean something beyond itself because you were inspired, you know, to... to reconstruct that experience for a reason. And so if you're lucky and if you work hard at it, you know, you can find those little spots of time, those little, you know, moments that come up out of your life and become little lyric, you know, um, uh, moments that stand for, represent either, um, you know, somebody obviously, some somebody else hasn't had this exact experience, but hopefully it stands for a kind of experience that we've all had. Right. Um, so should a, what, do you think a poet's fidelity should always be to the poem rather than the facts of what actually happened? I'm never, I, I have no um, um, marriage to the facts at all. Um, there are many facts in that poem that are absolutely true, one of which is the purse. 
I had the purse. <laughs> and it was but ugly, <laughs> you know. And bowling uh, shoes, bowling shoes, is that? The bowling shoes <laughs> yeah. I stole, and I had I was wearing them. And I mean, the way I was dressed is because I was working from a photograph. So mm-hmm. yeah. all of that is true. Um, you know, I'm not sure that the situation with his mother actually happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll tell you that. Um, I don't know. You know, I was writing the poem. It came up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it happened or not. I don't have a memory of it in my body. In the poem's body, I do. You know, so who's to say which one is telling the truth? I have no idea, but I know that it works perfectly for the poem. I mean, if I had to um, invent her for the poem, it was because the poem needed to have a third, you know, right? It yes. needed to have that third um, partner in the in, in crime. It seems like there's always more tension in uh, triangles. Rather threes than <laughs> work very, I tell my students that all the time, you know, threes are very, I mean, think about pyramids, think about, yeah. you know, they're very strong uh, <laughs> shape. That's right. And, you know, it, and it is a kind of a strange uh, love triangle as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, yeah. And kind of beautiful, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. I mean, she really is protective of her son in a way that, that years later, I, I, I recognize. Mm-hmm. But as a young girl, I would never recognize. Of course. You know, um, and that tension between mother and daughter is is even there. You know, that kind of echo tension. Yep. And yet, and, and that is the most startling thing about the poem. And yet, it's probably the least true mm-hmm. thing in the poem. So there That's, you go. It's interesting yeah. how that <laughs> sometimes works out that way. Yeah. Um, so you just came out with uh, a new book uh, this month. Um, how do you view all of your books as separate projects, or do you view your work as w- one poem or linking projects? Or do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, I just don't approach things that way. I, I write poems, and then I get so many of them that it's unwieldy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I cannot put one more poem in this file. You know, I can't. I can't bring one more poem to a reading in this batch because it's getting too heavy. And then it's time for another book. And then I have to look at it and think, well, what holds this together? Generally, these days, I just give it to my husband. <laughs> you says, deal with this mess. You deal with this because <laughs> right. I cannot, you know. And, uh, you know, so I, I never really think in terms of project. And having said that, for the first time, I'm thinking of doing a project <laughs> right now. Um, I have an, another book already, you know, good hefty size manuscript, which I'm happy to walk around with for a couple of years to see how it all falls out. But um, I do re- recognize that I keep writing these poems about um, the musicians that I grew up with, rock and roll, you know. And I have a poem about Cher, Dolly Parton, Mick Jagger, um, yeah, the Jagger Beatles. The book, yes, they're, they're spotted. Don't die, Mick. Don't die, <laughs> right. Mick, please. <laughs> That's all we ask of you. Right. Live forever, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Oh, and um, well, it looks like Keith will. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I mean, that guy's not going anywhere. Um, and so that happened rather organically. I mean, just every once in a while, I'd come out with one of these poems. And then I started thinking about it, and I thought, you know, I love writing about this. Why don't I just do a whole book and do 40 poems and call it Top 40, <laughs> right? And have them all, and it would be kind of a new and selected, right? You know, all, all poems I've written in the past about music and musicians and songs. And so I just finished one called Listening to Paul Simon. Um, I have another one called Music, My Rampart, which is a line from Edna St. Vincent Millay poem. And um, it's about James Taylor. 
and uh, the Mamas and the Papas. You know, so I tried to write one about Tom Waits last night. Did not work out. <laughs> Did not. Um, but I'm going to keep pushing it, you know, and see if I can get one about Tom Waits. But just, you know, I've made a list now. These are all the people I'd like to write about. That's, That's cool. as close to a project right. as I've, I've ever gotten. Yeah. So it's sort of uh, take things one, one poem at a time, more or less. Right. Right. And then, and then at the end of, uh, you have this batch of poems, and you think, okay, you go back through it. And so, as you're sort of thinking about putting a manuscript together with this batch, um, do you kind of go through and say, okay, well, this is a really strong poem. This is a really strong poem. And then, you know, how do you approach that assemblage process? You throw out, yeah, yeah. the ones that aren't so strong, and uh, and hopefully, I, I've worked a long time to get to a point like this, which is a really comfortable point to be at for a poet, where I have a whole batch of new poems that I'm feeling pretty good about, plus this kind of little project where I'm writing new poems, you know, to add to this other little batch that hopefully I'll feel good about. And so I'm not worried about a damn thing. I'm just having fun. <laughs> right? I'm just saying, you know, I am just going to have fun and write these poems because I like writing these poems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, how it falls out in terms of a book, generally... Uh, you know, I just get the poems together, start, like you say, pulling out bad ones, but also seeing what the linkages are. But they're, they're organic linkages. I mean, they're already there. I wasn't thinking of them. It's just now that I put it out on the floor, like a puzzle, what piece fits where, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, and my husband's very good at that, too. He has a great vision for how things could fit together. And um, so, you know, it's hit and miss, and, and I find... Often what happens is that I'll write a book, I'll, I'll find that, that thread, I'll give the book a title like Facts About the Moon, you know, and I'll go, great, this is great, you know, and then I move on to the next book and I find myself still writing moon poems. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, if I had just waited, I could have had more moon poems in my moon book, you know, and then, and then I get the book of men, right? And I, that's the thing, the thread there. And now I'm writing these poems uh, other poems about men. I think that could, that could have gone in the Book of Men. So in that respect, it is one long project, mm -hmm. right? You know, I mean, things overlap, and and uh, and I probably am not writing appreciably different poems than I began mm -hmm. writing because the same things obsess me that have always obsessed me. Mm -hmm. You know. And uh, you mentioned music earlier. Um, so has how besides you know besides maybe subject matter, how has music affected? your work do you for instance do you listen to music when you write or I do not listen to music when I write and um, I was just asked that question on this notorious I think it's called blog mm -hmm. and uh, they asked me to write a little little piece on on music and poetry which I think the the um, linkages between those two I mean if I always tell my young poets go hang out with the musicians don't hang out with other poets go find <laughs> some musicians you know um, music has been hugely influential in my poetic life. And when I was growing up, I was very lucky to grow up in an era where the music and the musicians were poets, mm -hmm. you know. And um, really, that's what made me want to write poetry. Paul Simon in particular. I yes. Say. You know, I mean, I could, you know, of course I read Walt Whitman. I went, you know, I, I, my mom had books of poetry around the house, you know, Carl Sandburg and E.E. E. Cummings and all these you know, but really, it was Paul Simon, you know, and, and it was, it was um, the Beatles, and it was all these great lyricists, Bob Dylan, and so they were sort of my influences in a way, I feel like 
it's incumbent upon me to write a book, an homage to these people who really started my life as a poet. And not only in terms of the language, which, you know, and the music of language and, you know, all of that, but also just that poetic spirit, that poetic, right? The, yeah. the feeling of those songs was poetry. Mm -hmm. And um, so it, it had a huge influence and continues to have an influence on me to this day. But I cannot listen to music and write because they war, especially if there's word, oh, yeah. it, lyrics and I'm gone. I, if I could have been a musician, I would have. I think most of us in our generation would have been musicians because they were the geniuses. They were the gods. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you uh, pal around with and hang out with musicians growing up? Or, I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, you, have, you have friends who are musicians now? Um, you know, not so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was growing up, I was a groupie, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and uh, I, I grew up in San Diego, and there was a band called Horse Feathers. They were an alternative rock band, and they opened for the Kinks and, wow. you know, a few few big-name groups, and, uh, and they were pretty famous in our little small town, and I was, you know, be on the couch while they were in there practicing, and, and my boyfriends were always in a band, you know, and, and I was just surrounded by it. Uh, not so much anymore, yeah. I mean, you know, your life changes. You don't go out and listen to music as much. I don't even listen to music as much at home, you know. Um, you know, now I have Pandora. I mean, I finally figured out the Pandora thing so yeah. I can listen to it on my computer while I'm doing other things, which is nice. Not writing, but, you know. Yeah. And I can even write prose. I mean, I can write, you know. Uh, something like not poetry. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> yeah, because sure. then I just start writing Paul Simon lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Um, with those new poems that you're writing about musicians, uh, is it primarily 20th century musicians? You know, 60s, 70s. Yeah, you know, um, all the people that I mentioned. Um, I I do have a poem about. It, it's called Me Mother's Blues, um, Volume One. And um, there are all these kind of lesser-known blues singers who are singing not victim, women's victim blues, you know, but real assertive women's blues, like, um, uh, you know, I don't dig you, Jack, uh -huh. and you're not going to sleep in my bed. And, you know, I mean, it's, they're great. There's, there's one blues tune called uh, Women Be Wise, Keep Your Mouth Shut, Don't, don't Advertise Your Man. Ah, yeah. Well, that's anyway. still, you know, this is more like, more, it, more or, or, and empowered and, yeah. yeah, one hour mama, right. you know, I, I don't need no five minute man, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, these are really, they're out there, Sounds you know, great. and uh, so I wrote a little poem for them, um, but yeah, mostly it's that era, you know, that I grew up in with the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and pop music, you know, Otis Redding, um, you know, that it, there was just so much going on. Smokey Robinson, I mean, you could just go on forever right. and ever. Joni Mitchell, I mean, oh, don't yeah. get me started. <laughs> and, and a lot of these, these people are still at it. Paul Simon and Joni Mitchell, I yeah. mean, you know, just keep on producing amazing yeah. music. Um, before you started teaching, you worked as a sanatorium cook, a gas station manager, a maid, and donut holder, among other occupations. How has this work, if at all, influenced your writing? Well... I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I think it's influenced my writing, like everyone's life influences their writing, you know, even whether or not they write about their life. You know, I just always kind of haunts me when I think about um, Virginia Woolf. You know, she says that um, her first memory was of being in the crib 
and I guess some people can really remember back that far. You know, it's just a, it, you know, it's just a fragment of memory, but she remembers a crib in the bars and looking out to white gauze windows that are kind of fluttering out from the open window, and she can hear the waves. She can hear the ocean, you know, coming. And I think, yeah, and that's what she writes about, <laughs> right? I mean, nice. that is the complete and utter essence of Virginia Woolf. And you so, have the yeah, bars, you have the waves, you have the <laughs> your life influences your writing, you know. And um, so, yeah, my, you know, I have poems about some of those jobs, and um, certainly I can draw and all that that wonderful narrative, um, the people that I that I knew, you know, in my life. Um, but uh, it's more, it's interesting because now that I am doing these poems about rock and roll and, and it's more a tonal thing now that I'm trying to get at, you know, more of a feeling. And it's very close to nostalgia. I mean, it's, you know, and that's what it is. When you go back to those times, you can't help but sink down into this nostalgia. And uh, so that's what I'm trying to do is work with that, you know, like, oh, yeah, there was this feeling that came over me. And it comes over everyone when they hear songs, even if you're listening to heavy metal. And, you know, I mean, you know, if that was the song that you first got some, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the one yeah, that's that, you right. know, does it to you. And, uh, and for our generation, it was these songs. So I'm trying to more capture the feeling of that. So is it, is it the, to capture of the feeling of that time or, you know, how, how you feel about that time now, or... Both. Yeah. I mean, you know, exactly. That's, that's kind of the wonderful thing, right, is that you have the feeling of that time butting up against who you are now and what you feel now, how looking, again, kind of like Bakersfield, looking back on it, what, what's that conflict about? Yeah. You know. um, also, in your poems, uh, they're kind of populated by characters, um, you know, grocery clerks, uh, graffiti artists, musicians... Waitresses, etc. Um, do you view your role as a poet, at least partially, to sing the lives of those seldom written about? Yeah, I think it ha has happened that way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not that I ever set out necessarily to do anything like that, but when I again look back, I think yes, that's something that I I was interested in um, seeing those people that were very just kind of ordinary people living their lives, you know, and for someone just to really see them, yeah. you know, and see how how beautiful they were, you know, and interesting and fucked up, <laughs> crazy and, you know, weird yeah. and, you know, all those things. Um, and uh, and if there's no one there to look, you know, they, they, they don't get seen. And it's, yeah, it seems like um, those poems uh, about some of those characters, uh, they seem like almost old-fashioned praise poems in a way. They seem mm. very celebratory. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Is it... It sort of, you know, that's just kind of how it happened. You, do you, do you feel afterwards? Do you, well, first of all, do you agree with that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 I think they are. Yeah. And so, um, is it? Is it? I guess is it kind of a? Is it almost a political maybe stance that you're taking that like you know, you know, these people need to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. uh, no one else is doing it now. I guess it's me. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, I wish I could say that I was that political about okay. it because I, I do feel very strongly about it, but it's only in retrospect, I'm yeah. sorry to say. I mean, it, it would, you know, I, I never in a poem set out to do anything. <laughs> you know, I don't say, man, I need to write a political poem. Man, I need to write a poem about, you know. Um, the closest I get is something like, for instance, oh, I'd love to write a poem about Tom Waits. 
you know, um, but I have no idea what's going to become of that, right. you know. I'd like to write a poem about what's out the window, you know, but I don't, you, that's as close as I get to it. Yeah. I certainly don't um, think, well, you know, I've got I've to be the voice, mm, right, right. <laughs> you know, for these people. But in retrospect, I realize that that does tend to give others a voice when you, you know, kind of reveal their, them to more than one other person, uh. you know? I mean, it, 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 it becomes politicized, you know? But I don't set out to do it. And I think, in fact, if I did, it could be problematic for me, you know? It would seem like a lot of pressure. As an artist, you know, yeah. Sort of a crushing <laughs> right. to have that intention and to take that consciously onto your shoulders. Right. Um, since 1990, you've taught poetry at various private and public venues across the country, including Pacific University's Low Residency MFA and the Truro Center of the Arts at Castle Hill, among others. How has teaching, if at all, affected your work as a poet? Well, it's it's wonderful because it gives you the entire summer to write. <laughs> yeah, that's really affected my life as a poet. I mean, you know, when I was waitressing, I had my shift breaks and I came home from work pretty tired and not that I wouldn't write, you know, I mean I would um, because at least I had the mental energy for it. I didn't maybe have the physical energy but I had, you know, I was excited. I it was, wasn't the most uh, intellectually demanding yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, and... Um, your feet are tired, not your brain, right? Right, you know, so I could, I could, uh, and not your emotions, mm -hmm. you know, really in that, in that way. And um, whereas teaching, you know, does, I mean, I get very passionate and heated up in class talking about poetry. And uh, so I come home and I really am actually emotionally exhausted because I've been talking about what I love, you know, for three hours straight and then taking a break, eating some lunch and going to talking about what I love for another three hours straight, you know. And um, so it, it, it does affect you. But um, I always think of um, what Philip Levine says, which is that, you know, teaching at the university is a lot better than working. You know, I mean, it's work, but it's some, not... Some people work for a living. Right? Yeah, right, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very uh, different kind of work. And my students have affected my writing a lot. You know, I mean, they're doing such interesting things, and they um, take such risks, and they see the world in such a different way, and it keeps my world broad and wide and, you know, uh, to, to be in contact with with these young poets who are coming up can't be anything but good, mm -hmm. you know, for a poet who's on the other side of that, you know, because you always want to have that sense of spectrum, yeah. you know. So I think that's a really lucky thing, that you're in contact with young people who are in the art that you love, you know, and trying to find new ways into it, you know. Do you, uh, <clears throat> do you prefer teaching um, literature courses or creative writing courses? Or are they just two completely separate? No, they're not separate at all. You know, I mean, well, except that I, I'm not qualified to teach, quote, literature courses in the sense that, you know, my expertise is sort of contemporary American poetry with an emphasis on women's poetry and clearly an emphasis on poetry of work and, and people and place, you know. Um, I couldn't talk at length about very many particular poets. I mean, I could tell you a lot about it. <laughs> St. Vincent Millay and Emily Dickinson and, you know, Whitman. I mean, there are a few poets that I, I do know uh, something about, but really it's contemporary poetry. And um, most of what I teach is exactly that kind of thing. Like, I, 
I teach a seminar called The Poetry of Sex and Death because those really are the only two subjects Great. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and, um, and so we read um, books outside of poetry. We read Thomas Lynch's um, uh, it's a Pulitzer Prize winning book and it's uh, The Undertaking, yep. Yep. which you know, um, Six Feet Under was based, based on. A beautifully written book, gorgeous, gorgeous book. Students love it. Um, they also read a kind of quick history, as quick as you can get, Western attitudes toward sexuality and Western attitudes toward death. And um, they also, um, you know, read poems, of course. You know, so we find poems throughout history that deal with sex and death and try to see how attitudes toward sex and death have changed over time in terms of poetry. But it's not, you know, it's it's more of a kind of seminar, you know. Sure, it's it's sure. poets talking about an interesting aspect of poetry as poets, mm -hmm. as practitioners of the art. Not, I'm not teaching it to students, and you know, running down the dates for yeah, them right, and asking they, them for theoretical. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so they're fun courses. I teach another course called, you know, the poetry of working class, and we read Studs Terkel's um, working, you know. And then they also read poems about work, and they're expected to write poems. Write a poem in the voice of a worker. Mm -hmm. Write a poem in the language of work, mm -hmm. because of course work has its own language. That's right. You know, and um, write a poem in which you observe a worker. Mm -hmm. You know, and then uh, my husband added a new twist to it, which was that he'd have the students go out and interview someone like Stud Circle. Nice. Right, interview someone in the town, and so these kids went out and did this. And the people fell so in love with these kids yeah. who interviewed, you know, like the guy at the bagel place, right? You know, he'd come into the classroom with a whole box of bagels. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, once again, somebody was seen. He was seen, and what he was doing was valued enough that the school came, you know, I mean, kid came out and said, tell me about your life. Tell me how this works, you know. And, uh, and they made friends throughout the town with that little project. So... Um, you know, but those aren't literature courses. They're yeah. more, you know, either practitioner of the art or here is a way into poetry. It's, well, they sound like cl classes where it seems like the intention is to get uh, students to fall in love with writing and literature, mm -hmm. which is... <laughs> and, and know what the power of it is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's, it seems in, extremely valuable. Um, you mentioned your husband earlier. You're married to the wonderful poet uh, Joseph Millar, of course. Indeed, I am. <laughs> what is it? What is it like uh, sharing your life with another artist, particularly one who practices the same craft? It's terrific. I mean, a lot of people have a hard time with it, and I completely understand that you could. I have just lucked out. Um, we have lucked out as a couple. We can work together, and that doesn't mean we work together. But I mean, we can live in the same house. He can be sitting there writing a poem. I want to kill him when I see him writing a poem. And, and I could be sitting there writing a poem and, and the same thing. He's like, are you writing a poem? You better not be writing a poem. <laughs> if you're writing a poem, I'm going to write a poem. <laughs> what are you writing a poem about? <laughs> you know, I mean, there is, me. you're right, right. There is this wonderful kind of, you know, um, uh, fake competitiveness. But really, you know, we just love it. We love that we live in the same house with someone who is as passionate as we are about this art. And it's great to have an editor living right there, you know, where you can just say, oh, the only thing we have to watch out for is showing each other work too soon. We try to hold back because, you know, if you end up seeing a poem like 25 times, you're truly ready to kill the person. You know, it's <laughs> like, if you show me this poem one more time, you're going out the window, you know. 
But um, but we've just been lucky, and we can write together. We do exercises together. He'll he'll we encourage each other. You know, the weekend will come. I'm kind of depressed or tired or pissed or whatever, and he'll go, "Let's go for a drive." You know, take your notebook. We'll go down and look at the river for a while and write a poem. That's true. It's great, right? We can do that for each other, and I'll do the same thing for him. Let's go. Let's go somewhere and write. You know. That's wonderful. Um, well, let's leave it there. Uh, Dorian Lux, thanks very much. Hey, thank you, Brian. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to the AWP podcast series. For other podcasts, please tune into our website at www.awpwriter.org.